So welcome, my name is Paige Heitman, I'll be your host, co-hosting with me is Kayla. Good morning. And then today we have one of our personal favorites, Dr. Brian Creedy, an ENT or ear, nose, and throat physician and medical director of surgical services with Phelps Health Medical Group. Welcome back, Dr. Creedy. Thanks for having me, always good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. You didn't see the outline yet, so it's going to be a really fun show for you. We're just going to wing it, I think we can pull it off. Yeah, so one of the things that we always love to start off with, and it's been a little bit since we've had you, is tell us a little bit about why you chose ENT, where you went to school at, some of your special interest? Sure. So I'm not too far from here. I grew up out in Washington, Missouri, which is about an, an hour west of here. Mm-hmm. Um, went to medical school or undergrad at Mizzou. So big Mizzou fan. The basketball team looking really mm-hmm. good right now. Uh, went to medical school at uh, St. Louis University. And, and during that time, I joined the uh, military. So I was in the Army for about nine years. Uh, did my residency down in San Antonio, which was uh, a great place to live as well. And Ended up uh, and was fortunate enough to get stationed at Fort Leonard Wood for mm-hmm. four years and uh, ended up just staying in the area after I was done and got recruited by Phelps and I've, I've been here ever since. Which is really exciting. We've been lucky to have you. So before we dive into our main topic, tell us a little bit about what an ENT physician is and what ENT services are offered at Phelps Health. So I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation or, or misunderstanding of what mm-hmm. ENT does. Most people think, yeah, hey, tubes, tonsils, that's, mm-hmm. that's all they do, but it's a lot, it's a lot larger than that. <laughs> We pretty much manage anything above the collarbones that doesn't involve um, mm-hmm. neurosurgery, so the central mm-hmm. nervous system. So we do um, anything with the ear from you know reconstructing the hearing to cancers of the mm-hmm. ear. Uh, we do a lot of sinus issues. Most people think of allergies, but there's a lot of sinus surgery and skull-based surgery that goes uh, into that. Uh, we do a lot of facial plastics, so things like rhinoplasties, facelifts, brow lifts, that's, that's right up our alley. Um, Facial trauma, I used to do a lot of. It's not something we see a whole lot here, so oftentimes we we will send that out, but that is something we can do as well. Uh, We do see a lot of head and neck cancer Mm -hmm. here, uh, a little bit more serious things, so things like throat cancers, tongue cancers, uh, cancers (coughs) of the voice box. Uh, We do a lot of thyroid management here. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of endocrine support in this area. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, we need to send a lot of that stuff out, so we do manage a lot of the thyroid problems um, in this area as well. Um, so it's a whole host of, of mm-hmm. different things that we do. So all of those surgeries, outside of the couple that you mentioned that you kind of have to send somewhere else, do most of those surgeries take place here at Phelps Health? Absolutely, yes. We uh, we do most of those surgeries here at uh, Phelps Health. Which is really nice because people don't have to travel an hour and a half, get their a- surgery, absolutely. and then travel an hour and a half back. We're, we're essentially the only ENT providers along 44 between Springfield and St. Louis. So we get uh, people from all over the place. Yeah, we're going to use that for our marketing now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about allergies in children and some of those frequently ask questions that kiddos or parents grandparents might have because we're getting pretty close to allergy season really kind of kicking off I I got news for you it's here (laughs) so if you've got spring allergies it's time to start Uh taking your medications okay so um, first let's start off with let's just describe what an environmental allergy is sure so uh, we live in a world that has a lot of things like pollens and cat Mm -hmm. dander and dust mites and and things Mm -hmm. like that and for most people um, that doesn't cause any problem. The immune system's able to recognize that as foreign, but not something I need to respond to. Unfortunately, in certain individuals, the immune system, for whatever reason, decides to recognize that antigen or pollen or whatever it may be as a foreign invader, and it mounts an attack mm-hmm. as though it were a virus or a bacteria. So what happens is those substances or antigens, as we call them, get taken up into the body. The immune system recognizes them as foreign and they mount uh, an immune response. And and along with that, things like uh, histamines and different inflammatory mediators are released, and that's what leads to the nasal congestion, runny eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, ear fullness, things like that. So it's an inappropriate response to things that we're exposed to in our environment. 
So you described some of those symptoms of an environmental allergy. What are some steps that parents could take to lessen the symptoms of those allergies for their children? Well, as I mentioned, it's an inappropriate reaction to something that most people wouldn't react to. And, and so what we do is we manage some of these inflammatory mediators that are released. Probably the most common one that people know about are histamines. So histamine is released and that causes vasodilation, swelling, nasal congestion, runny nose, things like that. And, and, and in kids, it can lead to things like recurrent ear infections mm -hmm. um, as well. So we typically start with something simple like uh, non-sedating antihistamine or even a sedating histamine. So there's a couple of, of different types. So Benadryl is probably the one that people are mm -hmm. most uh, well aware of. Um, it's an antihistamine, but unfortunately it causes a little bit of drowsiness. So it's not yeah. something people like to take. So because of that, there have been some other medications that have been developed, and we call them non-sedating antihistamines. They're the things like the Zyrtex, the Claritins, the Allegra's, mm -hmm. and, and all of their generic uh, versions that block histamine and can help uh, tamp down this reaction. So I have a question, too. I want to step back a second. You had mentioned all the different symptoms of an environmental allergy, but we're still kind of at that point in the year where it's, do I have allergies? Is it the cold? Yeah, Is it the a, flu? It's, it's tough so to figure out. So how do you out. distinguish? So number one, you need to know your body, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know, it gets to be early, late February, early March, and every time uh, of the year, around this time of year, you start having symptoms, it's probably going to be your allergies. We are kind of coming out of cold and flu season. Um, we had a big uh, influenza rush along with kind of a COVID surge mm -hmm. here over the winter, and a lot of that stuff's really starting to die down, and strep kind of hit pretty hard this year as well, as did RSV, but we're seeing a downtrend in that. So what I would say is uh, if it's your normal allergy season, I would expect that to be allergies. If, if there's any fevers involved, um, you know, progressive cough, that would lean a little bit more towards an infectious mm -hmm. uh, etiology. And you can get that worked up by your uh, primary care provider. It's something mm -hmm. they can test for. So you just kind of have to know the time of year and what mm -hmm. your symptoms would typically be like. Right. And if you don't have a primary care provider, and this is kind of your plug to go and get one, we've got a lot of them who are Absolutely. here to help care for you, your family. Um, so our next question is, what's the seasonal allergy? Let's kind of define that. Is it different based on season? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we live in Missouri, and we're blessed with all four seasons um, <laughs> in this area, which is both good and bad mm -hmm. for, for some people. So in the spring, some of the most common things we see would be tree pollens. Uh, now, right now, um, cedar is starting to be on the rise already. Mm -hmm. So like I said, if you've got spring allergies and you're allergic to cedar trees, it's time to start taking your allergy medications mm -hmm. now before they start getting bad. Uh, oak pollen is going to be getting pretty high here in the near future. And then, you know, we're getting to the point where we're going to be going outside. We'll have like a nice 75 degree day and you come out mm -hmm. and your car's covered in this yellow dust. Right. Um, so in the spring, it's, it's more tree pollens and such. Now, as we get into summer, it switches from the tree pollens to more of the grasses, especially when the farmers start to cut mm -hmm. hay and things like that. Um, so Kentucky bluegrass, Johnson grass, things like that. So summertime allergies are more related to the grasses. As we transition to the fall and the leaves start to change, we run into things like uh, ragweed and some of the other different mm -hmm. weeds that start to, to bloom in the fall. Fortunately, in the winter, we get spared. Once the first freeze hits, a lot of those things die down. But because of the cold weather and such, we're inside more often. So you see more uh, response to like pet allergies, mm -hmm. dust mites, just because you're exposed to those more often inside. So yeah, there is definitely a seasonal mm -hmm. predominance to us. To mm -hmm. these allergies. Yeah, and you definitely understand the indoor allergies right now because you guys are babysitting your daughter's golden that retriever, right? That is exactly right. <laughs> yeah. got a, 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 we're quote-unquote fostering her golden uh -huh. retriever right now. We'll see if it gets out of the house. Uh, yeah, no, I vacuum like three or four times today, so I totally understand where you're coming from with golden Listen, retrievers. Listen, those robot vacuums are a lifesaver right. when it comes to that. Yeah, 100%. absolutely, yes. Okay, so my next question, I, I want to talk a little bit more about children and adults and allergies. Mm -hmm. So, is it the same for children? Um, do they maybe sometimes outgrow their allergies whenever they become adults? If you're an adult, can you get allergies randomly? 
So the answer is yes to all of those. Mm-hmm. For with in, in kids, what we typically see, we see this. Uh, they describe it as this allergic march, to where you know when they're born, they're infants uh, and they're young, they'll start out with like eczema, right? Mm-hmm. They'll get this you know rash on their their skin. Um, that's kind of a precursor to uh, more severe allergies down the road. Uh, next, you'll notice you, may, you know they may develop some food allergies mm-hmm. to milks, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts. Allergies such as milk, milk and egg, they typically can outgrow those, but uh, peanut and tree nut allergies typically don't go away. Those are lifelong problems. Then we transition into more of the seasonal allergies with the runny nose, the congestion, and some kids will progress on to develop asthma um, as well. So what we found in those kids that uh, kind of get on that march or allergic march is if we can get them started on allergy treatment early, we can oftentimes prevent Mm -hmm. progression of some of those things. And most importantly, uh, kind of some of the more severe forms of asthma that can develop if that's Mm -hmm. not managed appropriately. Right. Now, outside of like the peanut allergies, those more severe ones that kind of stay with you throughout the course of your life, do you guys ever recommend just removing things from your diet and then reintroducing them at a later point? Right. So this brings up kind of a, almost a whole nother discussion. It's mm-hmm. food allergies versus environmental yes. allergies. As an ENT provider, we are certainly geared for the environmental allergies and we're very good at managing mm-hmm. that. Uh, we do do some food allergy um, testing and uh, treatment as well. But when, when that gets pretty complicated, we typically mm-hmm. you know refer that out to, to, to some other specialists in that. We'll sometimes use dietitians to, to mm-hmm. help us with that. But there's no great treatment for food allergies, though there's been some recent research uh, in peanut allergy in particular, because mm-hmm. there was this big uh, push, you know, in the early 80s and 90s that, hey, your kids need to avoid these foods because they're going to develop allergies right. later in life. Well, it turns out doing that, we put them at risk for developing these allergies later on. So there's uh, things like peanut challenges for mm-hmm. younger kids that uh, if you're at risk, if your child's at risk, can prevent development mm-hmm. of those allergies. So. so whenever you say peanut challenge, what, it, what does that mean? So you give certain amounts of mm-hmm. uh, peanuts um, to your child at certain ages, and what that does is uh, prevents the immune system from recognizing that as foreign. Mm-hmm. And we would typically recommend that for, for folks that are at risk. They've got a family history of it. Mm-hmm. They've had siblings that have had trouble with it. Um, but like I said, that's definitely beyond the scope of what we do. Right. So another question that I wanted to kind of ask along the same mm-hmm. lines is, can you define the difference between an allergy and a sensitivity? Yeah, so um, let's just use milk as -hmm. an example. A lot of people have, you know, what's considered lactose intolerance. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily an allergy. That's Mm -hmm. a lack of an enzyme in your stomach that uh, can't process milk proteins, and it leads to kind of bloating and diarrhea, Mm -hmm. and some people mistaken that for uh, an allergy. Mm -hmm. If you've got a true allergy to milk, what happens is that's ingested. It's taken up by the immune system. Um, Antibodies react. You get histamine release, and, and you can have anything from rashes to tongue swelling to a full-blown anaphylactic reaction. There's, there's mm-hmm. a big difference. So uh, sensitivities are more, you typically see that with uh, enzyme deficiencies and stuff like that. And you can really get down into the weeds with, with uh, food sensitivities, you know, people with like gluten and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. once again, well beyond the scope of what we can do. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to kind of define, because I think to your point, a lot of people think, oh, well, I can't have it because I'm allergic to it. Well, right. is that necessarily true? Well, and, and that's hard to define, right? How do you define a, a sensitivity? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different tests and stuff out there. Some of them are great. Some of them aren't. But people are more than willing to take your money to test you for it. So be careful. Mm-hmm. Be cautious out there. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about allergy tests. So do t- children have to be a certain age to get tested for allergies? And what type of allergy tests are offered for them? Very, very good question. So we'll just talk about it, my practice specifically. Mm-hmm. So our uh, testing, as far as environmental allergies go, uh, typically involves um, a skin test. There are some blood tests available that we can use, but for skin testing, there's a lot of needles and such involved. So the kid needs to be able to tolerate Mm -hmm. that. 
So there's a, an aspect of patient compliance we need to consider. So our cutoff is usually around the age of four. We mm -hmm. have done some younger children that, you know, the parents feel as though mm -hmm. they could go through it. But it's about an hour-long process that involves anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30 needle sticks. So not something Oof. that a four-year-old or, yeah. or younger would, mm -hmm. would be willing or to do. Or even me in my 20s. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so for those younger kids that we are worried about that mm -hmm. there may be a problem and, and uh, you know, maybe there's mm -hmm. something we can do for There are um, blood tests that mm -hmm. we can do. They actually measure circulating antibodies in your blood to the different antigens that we could uh, treat. But our cutoff in our clinic is four, but there are other clinics, uh, pediatric uh, allergy specialists that, uh, that will do kids that are younger. So what are some of those common allergies that you see whenever you do those needle pricks or that you treat children for at Phelps Health ENT? Because that's a lot of needle pricks absolutely, to be doing. Absolutely, absolutely. So we don't check for everything. There's you know probably a billion different things uh, we can check for. Right. So we need to put um, our efforts into where the most effective and, and most reliable testing would be. We check for, I believe, 24 different antigens, and it's a different mixture of uh, tree pollens, mm -hmm. like we talked about, uh, grasses, uh, weeds. We check for our cat and dog. We definitely check for dust mites mm -hmm. um, and several different molds, as well as cattle and chicken, because there's a lot of farms and, and right. such around here. Um, so that's that's what we test for. And really not a whole lot difference between what we test for between the adults and, and kids. This also made me think of something that's really, really common in this area, alpha-gal. So just for oh, a second, I want yes. to talk about that because I know that's a, a huge hot topic mm -hmm. and it's been really prevalent in this area. So do you get a lot of children that get diagnosed with alpha-gal? And let's define what that is really quickly. It's a lot more common in adults for sure, but we do have some kids um, that have that. So what alpha-gal is, it's, um, I think it's started to become a lot, lot more well-known and a lot of primary care providers mm -hmm. are starting to, uh, to test for it. Alpha-gal is an allergy that you develop to mammal meats, um, mm -hmm. so things like beef, pork, lamb, um, a lot of deer hunters around here, so deer meats. Right. Um, and so what it is is you get a tick bite, uh, and we think this is mostly from ticks, but there's some mm -hmm. people that have no tick exposure, so there's probably another vector for that to, to be transmitted. Perhaps chiggers mm -hmm. uh, can cause this. But what happens is this tick bites you and injects its saliva into um, your body, essentially, and in the saliva, there's a particular sugar um, that the immune system recognizes as foreign and creates antibodies to that. Well, there's a very similar sugar on different uh, meat proteins. Mm -hmm. um, so once you get essentially immunized by the tick, you've got these antibodies that are, that are going to respond to the sugar mm -hmm. that are on meat. So you end up developing an allergy to essentially meat uh, and some of the byproducts associated with that. Right, which is really unfortunate, especially if you're a family that really loves like deer Absolutely. meat or well, red who meat. Who doesn't, right? Who doesn't want right? a nice fillet or something like that? So um, what we find is uh, you get these weird, strange reactions. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's a rash for no particular reason. No one can figure out what's going mm -hmm. on because they've not had the trouble before. It's something that develops at any age. Uh, it can sometimes cause GI discomfort. I've seen things such as arthritis and, and, and other things. Um, so it be, can be kind of tricky to figure mm -hmm. out, but I can almost tell from talking to the patient if they're going to test positive or not, because typically they present with new onset uh, rash or hives that they have no idea what's causing it. Mm -hmm. Wow, very interesting. Okay, so now we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit. We've, we've mentioned food allergies just a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more in depth about those. So what are some of those typical food allergies that you guys find in children outside of like peanuts? Right. So this gets a little bit tricky as well. Like I said, mm -hmm. in kids, we don't, we don't do any skin testing for mm -hmm. food allergies. Certain allergists will. It's just not something we're geared right. to do. So we typically do, we'll do blood testing. We've got a whole host of uh, different options we can test for, but there's only so much blood you can take out of a person, and right. that's even less in kids. So we're limited by uh, the amount of blood we can take mm -hmm. out. We've got uh, a panel, it's called a 95 food allergy panel, 
we use for a lot of our adults and it has almost anything you mm-hmm. can think of. In kids, we need to narrow it down to, you know, we can do what's called a basic metabolic or a, a basic allergy panel, which has about eight different things. And it's got the, the big hitters, you know, milk, eggs, uh, tree nuts, peanuts, mm-hmm. uh, uh, things like that. Um, we can get a little bit more aggressive in some of the older kids um, and we can check for specific things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have you know, a kid that came in this week. It's like, hey, I think my kid's allergic to cinnamon. So we can add those certain things in there. Mm-hmm. But we can't just do a shotgun approach with the kids just because we can only take so much blood. Right, absolutely. So what are some of those signs and symptoms of a food allergy that might present in a child whenever they come in? So one of the most frequent things we see is, you know, poorly controlled eczema. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a food allergy component to uh, to that. So most of the time it's rash. Occasionally we'll see some GI discomfort, but but mostly mostly rashes or or hives. Mm So when should a child decide uh, with their parent to go and see an allergist or somebody that does this type of testing? Like at what point is it bad enough where they should go in and have a conversation? So that's going to vary from family to family. It's, it's essentially what you're comfortable with managing on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these are managed very similar to environmental allergies. You use like antihistamines and, and things like that. But the biggest thing would be kind of avoidance. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, if you've got like a milk allergy, the good thing is most kids eventually outgrow that. So we'll test them at a young age. We'll give them a list of things that, hey, you should probably should avoid mm-hmm. these things. And then as they get older, uh, we retest them. And if their numbers have corrected, we can slowly reintroduce mm-hmm. those things into their diet. Right. So on the extreme side of that, outside of like a tummy upset or eczema, things like that, one of the worst things that can happen to a child whenever they have an allergy is an anaphylactic reaction. Oh, absolutely. So let's define what that is and maybe okay. some of those warning signs for parents whose children maybe haven't been diagnosed yet with anything. Absolutely. So um, this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. My, my youngest daughter had a, right. a situation like this. So I'll just kind of walk through mm-hmm. our experience with my daughter. So um, this was probably about... You know, seven, eight years ago, I was still working down at, at Port Leonard Wood, and I was driving home, and my our oldest daughter was at home with our youngest daughter, and they were eating some mixed nuts. Mm-hmm. Didn't think anything of it. She's never right. had any trouble before. Well, my daughter calls me. She's like, hey, you know, Abby ate this curved nut, and now she says her throat hurts, and she can't breathe very well. And immediately in my mind, I was like, uh-oh, this right. sounds like trouble. Call 911. I'll be there as, as soon as I can. So these can come on just out of the out of the blue like that. So an anaphylactic reaction is uh, it's a life-threatening reaction that causes an intense release of these inflammatory mediators that causes a lot mm-hmm. of swelling mm-hmm. uh, uh, and tissue fluid. Normally not a big deal, but when that happens in the airway, there's not a lot of space there. So right. obviously you can't breathe very well. Now, in addition to that, because of all these fluid shifts, typically you get a, a, a profuse drop in blood pressure. So mm-hmm. people will get low bread, low blood pressure. Uh, they'll get their heart rate will will get very high with this mm-hmm. as as well, and so you get low blood pressure. Low blood pressure, your airway starts to swell, so you can't breathe. Um, so it's a form of shock. So um, some children who are allergic to you know certain foods and things mm-hmm. like that, they might have an EpiPen. Can you kind of explain to us what an EpiPen is? Sure. And why they'd be prescribed sure, sure, one? Sure. So because of uh, the reaction that the allergy causes, mm-hmm. um, adrenaline's um, kind of a really nice treatment for it. It does a couple of things for us. Number one, it causes vasoconstriction, so it'll raise the blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It also decreases the, uh, the, the, the release of fluid into the tissues and such, so it can decrease the, the swelling. 
as well as some of the tightness and wheezing in the lungs. So it's a really good uh, treatment uh, for that. So an EpiPen is essentially, it's, mm -hmm. it's adrenaline that you inject into um, the muscle. Right. So Dr. Creedy, if I can, let's go back to your daughter's situation for yeah. a minute. So this was something that kind of came out of the blue. You guys weren't necessarily prepared for it. So how did you react in that situation? I know you said call 911. You were on your way, but what did you recommend that your daughter do in the moment? Was she somewhere uh, where she just, could get to a hospital? She was not. So I, I say, hey, you know, keep her calm as long as mm -hmm. she's still breathing and talking. We're okay. The ambulance is on the way. Why well, beat the ambulance there? Mm -hmm. um, so as you I just, should, your dad. Makes right. Sense. Well, and I was pretty close <laughs> home. So I just picked yeah. her up. And um, I've got a little inside track to the ER. So I just mm -hmm. called the ER, told them I was called, right. coming in, told them what was going on. And so they were ready to, to go mm -hmm. when we got there. So uh, by the time I got there, she was kind of starting to struggle to breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then on the way into the hospital, it got worse. She started vomiting. And, and so I was uh, pretty nervous. Right. Um, but I knew it wasn't far from the hospital and they were, they were ready mm -hmm. to go for her. So they gave her the EpiPens. Mm -hmm. uh, they did some nebulizers uh, and stuff like that. But typically, if, if the ambulance would have beat me there, right. they've got EpiPens and, and, yeah. and provide that as well. So, so, oh, you go sorry, ahead, I just I have a question for kind of like the after. So, how long did some of those effects like last for her? That was my question. <laughs> right. So it it varies from person to person. So here's the here's the crazy thing. There there can be kind of a twofold uh, reaction here. You mm -hmm. get the uh, the immediate reaction with the swelling and the decrease in blood pressure. And you can manage that typically with epipens and, and steroids. But you can also get a delayed reaction three to four hours later with some of the more prolonged inflammatory mediators are released. So there's almost a two-phase uh, approach that you need to watch. So if you have an anaphylactic reaction, um, it's pretty safe to say you probably should at least spend the night in the hospital to mm -hmm. monitor for some, some more of those late effects. And that's mm -hmm. what happened with her. She developed this head-to-toe rash and was having some trouble with oxygenation oh, wow. You know, after they initially got mm -hmm. her treated. So she ended up spending a couple of days in the hospital for, mm -hmm. we had, for something we had no idea about. Right. Okay. So we've got a few minutes left. We have some exciting things that have been happening in oh, ENT. Yes. So today your guys' offices are actually closed. So tell us why, what's going on. Well, we'll start with this Band-Aid on my thumb. So uh, <laughs> we're currently packing up our office. Mm -hmm. So I got a horrible paper cut. So, um, But our, our office is moving from the uh, Bond Clinic, which is out at 600 Blues Lake Parkway. And we are moving into the medical office building mm -hmm. next to the hospital. Unfortunately, we're closed for business mm -hmm. uh, today and tomorrow. It might be mm -hmm. the first time I've ever seen us closed other than we had an unfortunate fire uh, a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. But yeah, we'll be in Suite 300 over the medical office building. We'll be open for business uh, on Monday. Both our uh, ENT and our allergy are moving over there. Audiology will remain over at uh, Blues Lake mm -hmm. Parkway until some things get uh, worked out. They'll be moving over hopefully within the next year or two, mm -hmm. so we'll all be together again. So are you guys so excited about this move? Because I know it's something that you've had on your radar Absolutely. for almost 10 years. Look, I've been pushing for this for a <laughs> while. Um, the, uh, the Bond Clinic's been an excellent place to work, but it's very inconvenient for ER referrals mm -hmm. or if someone needs to be seen in the hospital, we need to, you know, take a break from our clinic, drive over to the hospital, see the right. patient. And so it's been a lot of back and forth. So now we can just walk out of our office or just work mm -hmm. patients in a lot easier in, in that instance. So, yeah, absolutely. It's also going to help for the walking, too. You can go straight into one location, which is really, really it. nice. You got it. <laughs> so as we kind of wrap up today, um, let's answer a couple of, like, rapid-fire questions. So how can patients who want to be seen for allergy issues schedule an appointment with you? Can I just walk in, or what is that process? Uh, you can call. We do recommend that you get a referral from your primary care provider. Mm -hmm. That certainly expedites this process. But you can just call our office. You know, I, I'm assuming the number is going to be the same, so our number is 573-364-5719, uh, or you can call the Phelps Health number, which is... 364-9000. Yeah, 364-9000. Yes. Uh, between the two of us, we got yes. it. And then um, also, if you have a MyChart account, you can do all of this oh, online. You don't even you have bet. to talk to anybody. You so. bet. And I always push for that. Um, the MyChart app is a, it's a great resource, and if you don't have it, I, I think you're missing out. 
Right. No, I completely agree. So if people are scheduling an appointment with you, the last question that I want to ask before we finish today is should parents bring anything with them to their appointment to discuss allergies? Um, photos are always very, very helpful. We always hear about all these different rashes and there's mm -hmm. different types. There's eczema, there's psoriasis, there's, mm -hmm. there's hives. So I always, always recommend if, if you see something that you're concerned about, take a picture. It's really nice mm -hmm. to see as a physician. So mm -hmm. we have a better idea of what's going on. If there's been any previous allergy testing done before, uh, some parents will be uh, very regimented about this and they'll actually have a food diary. It's always good to see that, that sort of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So two important things, take photos, keep a diary. Yes. And then as we wrap up today, like Dr. Creedy said, ENT Allergy Clinic is moving over the next couple of days. On Monday, you'll be able to see them in the Phelps Health Medical Office Building, Suite 300. If you want to schedule an appointment, we always have MyChart. If you don't have a MyChart, let us know. We're happy to help set one up for you. Or you can call the clinic office at 573-364-5719. So so Dr. Creedy, thanks so much. Like yeah, always, always you're a wealth of knowledge, one of our favorite people we have on the show. Um, he is currently accepting new patients. I've already given you guys the phone number, but if you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, visit phelpshealth.org. Thanks, everyone.